0: It's Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that Four k podcast this week's topic. We're gonna to talk about dying organizations, um, and you know, certainly how plant providers can avoid that fate. Uh, just obviously some of the experiences that I've had in my lifetime dealing with um, dying organizations and similar similar traits. But of course, first things first, let's talk about our events. Um just booked uh, Wednesday, July 28th, uh, that 401k networking event. uh, First of its kind networking event, baseball game. Uh, Mets take on the Atlanta Braves for $150. Uh, Get a game ticket. uh, Sit in the Honda Club right behind the right field fence. It's our own little private area. And there'll be food involved as well. Pandemic is uh, obviously coming to an end. I actually attended uh, this past weekend my first baseball game in 18 months, everybody knows what a big fan I am of going to a live baseball game. Uh, you know, hence, uh, that's what we do when we go to that 4 k conference, uh, sat in the vaccinated section, um, enjoyable and all that. But obviously by July, things will be a lot better, I think. Um, maybe I'll take off a mask. But uh, anyway, uh, it's a great event, food, food. Uh, Game ticket, 150 bucks. Atlanta Braves. It's going to probably be a good, important, provisional game with the Mets right now in first place, and Atlanta's struggling, so we'll see how that takes place. Go to that 4k site.com for further information how you can sign up, pay by PayPal, get a ticket and all that stuff. Uh, in addition, uh, live events coming back in September. We're looking forward to it. September 10th, St. Louis, Missouri. September 24th, Minneapolis, Minnesota. September 29th, Houston, Planet Houston, Texas. Uh, go to that 4 site.com how you can be a part of that 4 K conference. Uh, within the next few weeks, probably by July 1st, we'll have a date in place for the Las Vegas event in December. Um, after September, we'll take uh, October-November off and um, uh, book Las Vegas, which I know a lot of people are looking forward to. I know that NAPA is having their event in Las Vegas in September. I wish them well. Of course, our event is quite different. Uh, I think I'm really waiting on the, uh, for, for those uh, fans out there, Golden Knights schedule, seeing when we could book a date that corresponds to a Golden Knights game. Um, hopefully we can do that. We'll see what happens. December is a difficult month, uh, obviously for our friends in the TPA world, um, so we'll try to be accommodating to them as well. And again, go to that41ksite.com for further information on how you can sign up for all our live events. So, um, it's funny, I, I write a lot about, if you look at my career, um, I've, inside the ERISA space and outside the ERISA space, I've been involved with a lot of dying organizations in one way or another, um, and I'm fascinated by it. Uh, maybe I'm not an expert, but I do realize that with some of the dying organizations that I've been involved with in one way or another, there are common threads, and um to me that's important discussion for our plant providers out there in order to avoid these common threads and 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 thrive and uh I just think that you know uh, there these telltale signs that um you know I've seen these dying organizations. Um, you know, endure, uh, and and they certainly go through. And the first thing, you know, I've realized is that uh, these dying organizations, they are a spectator to their own death. Um, You know, it reminds me of the movie The Shawshank Redemption, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. And I'm always fascinated by these organizations because they choose death. They don't choose life. And I will never understand it. Um, One of the things that uh, I'm, you know, shaped by my life was the experiences uh, by my grandparents who uh, survived the concentration camps. Uh, I was, uh, I think that people know, uh, I had a very close relationship to my grandmother. Um, She passed away when I was 29 um, And uh, one story uh, my grandmother told me was she was in Auschwitz and uh, she was in a bunk. Uh, you know, they had barracks for all the prisoners and there was a girl there around her age, maybe a year or two younger. My grandmother was 20 when she went to the concentration camps and so this girl probably was 18 or 19. And the girl was repeating to herself, like, out loud, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And my grandmother said to herself, in in her inner self, said, you know, I'm going to survive. I'm going to live. I want to live. And she prayed to God that she would live. And she was liberated by the Soviet troops uh, in 45, I think it was February something or not. Um, I forgot the English date. But... uh, she was liberated. Uh, she was dying of typhoid. And the Soviet troops laid her in a building to die. And three, you know, a couple days later, it was discovered that she was still alive and they were surprised. And um, I bring that up because I think that, you know, it, it, it's it, it talking about life as individuals and life as an organization. Um, you have to put yourself in the best place, in the best situation. And and the, the problem, you know, I, I'm just amazed by dying organizations because you could see it from the outside. And they do nothing to stop themselves from dying. It's it, it's just amazing. Um, you know, one synagogue that I belong to in Oceanside, where I live, I was a member, you know, uh, not that long uh Five years, maybe, or whatnot, and then we left for you know one reason or another. And they've been dying for 20 years, and for 20 years they've really done nothing to stop the dying. Um, they had to a uh, I, I hate to use the expression the come to come to see Jesus moment, the, the come to Jesus moment. But about 10 years ago, they or no, uh, it was probably about eight or nine years ago, they had this kind of like important meeting where they were going to discuss what they were going to do. And, uh, you know, they they had a rededication, a recommitment to themselves and the building and, and, and saving the place, and that didn't last very, very long. Um, so, you know, they've been struggling for the last 20 years. They've done nothing to really stem it. And, you know, recently, they tried to sell half their property to a real estate de- developer who wanted to develop a senior center. Uh, problem was... Um, there wasn't enough space to de- really develop that senior care center, um, and the community was up in arms because um, you know if you are a neighbor, especially for those people who bought houses from the property that the synagogue had previously sold, because they wanted to, um, you know, save themselves for another couple of years, they bought property. They were very against the move. They don't wanna. They want to be next to a synagogue. They don't want to be next to a senior care center. Um, so they fought the move. And uh, the problem is the synagogue sold, was going to sell to a developer who had really no experience um, in developing commercial properties. Um, and he was uh, more a YouTube personality than he really was a developer, and he was really annoying to people. Um, he had that narcissistic personality that turns a lot of people off, especially people like me. And the problem was the synagogue never bothered to engage community. Never, you know, never had a plan to grow their membership and, um, you know, never bothered to campaign for it. So the, the community opposition was organized and, and uh, you know, needless to say, the zoning was rejected and now they're back um, to the drawing board and I, I think pr- pretty soon they're going to announce a deal where they're going to sell, um, you know, the entire property and maybe, have a smaller synagogue somewhere else. But, you know, you know, dying organizations, they, they have that common thread of either not understanding it or doom, or if they understand it, they become spectators to their own death. And there's like a paralysis. It's its 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 a, it's a death spiral. And, you know, as outlook Josie Wales said, you know, dying ain't much of a living. Uh, and it, it's just funny how organizations just you know, uh, dying organizations are in that, that you know, it's a, like almost like an aerodynamic stall. Um, you know, with uh, jet airplanes, um, you know, uh, sometimes pilot error will get a, a, a plane into an aerodynamic stall and there's nothing they can do to, to, to salvage and the plane's going to crash. And that's the problem with dying organizations. It's a paralysis... Uh, so even if they do recognize that they're dying, they do nothing to really stop it. Next, another common thread is really arrogant uh, leadership. And I, I, I've seen that where the leadership is just completely arrogant. Um, you know, I always use the example of, um, you know, the law firm that I worked at. And uh, that experience uh, working for... Uh, Myra Swazi kind of swore me off ever working for anybody ever again. Um, I really decided, you know what, I've had enough of this. I can't work for people like that again. Um, you know, the, the managing attorney there, Lois, I, you know, again, I, I usually give people good reasons not to like me. And uh, I still to this day don't understand why she didn't like me. I just knew it from day one that she just did not like me. Um, and like I said, I usually give people a reason why not you why you shouldn't like me. Uh, you know, being a turd in the punch bowl, being kind of frank and honest with people, that rubs people the wrong way. But again, to this day, I still don't understand why uh, she didn't like me. Um, so one of the things that I, I always thought was really odd, um, I'm always amazed sometimes why, why people tell me things. And, and certainly, you know, I think I do that a lot sometimes where I'll be a little frank and honest and I tell a little too much about situations. But I'll never forget, I, I kind of understood the person that Lois was when um, we were at a uh, 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 client of hers, and the reason they were a client of hers was because the uh, the general counsel of that firm, the guy kind of running the day-to-day office was a former fellow law, law firm associate of hers, and... Uh, he, you know, he thought that Lois was a friend, and so he was telling stories about his, uh, you know, children. I think one son was playing hockey over there, maybe playing hockey for college and whatnot. So it was, a, I thought it was a very nice meeting. So after we have that meeting, Lois says, "Ari, can you go sit, sit with me in the car? I just want to tell you something." And um, I remember her driving a Jaguar, and I, I. I uh, it's very funny. I don't have very negative views of any car, except I have a negative view of Jaguars. And the reason I have negative view of Jaguars is because uh, my aunt had one 40 years ago, and it was a piece of cr- it was like a 12 cylinder Jaguar. And I remember she needed windshield wipers, and it took like two, three months to get it, the wipers from, uh, from England. So she couldn't drive in the rain for two, three months. And these are cars that are very well known for having problems. I think at one point Jaguars, when Ford was in control of it at the turn of the millennium, had a decent reputation, but they tend to not have very good reputations as opposed to a Mercedes or a Lexus or a BMW. So anyway, she invites me in. And uh, she advised me uh, that she had zero interest in what that, general counsel, I had to say to her. She had no interest. And I I just thought that was just something really odd. Why are you telling me this? Um, You know, I just think that sometimes when you have conversations with people, yeah, you might not be interested in what they have to say, but you're pleasant about it. You want to engage with people. That's kind of a relationship. And why is she telling me this? And why are you telling me this about somebody that you used to work with, uh, that saw you as a friend? Um, You know, that's who she was and I thought that she was somebody who was stuck um, you know in the 1980s when she started as a law firm or associate um, you know I always tell a story when I when I told her you know I, I wanted to use social media to develop a national risk, risk practice she really acted as if this was some kind of um, you know insult to the legal profession this isn't how you do things even though her husband was very good at it in his law practice She was stuck in her age, Uh, she was stuck in her time, and even when she was told that the average age of the law firm partners was in the early 60s, and she did understand that that was a problem, she did nothing to change it. Um, And, you know, I always jokingly say that if Lois wanted to kill a good idea... All she would do was create a committee for it. Uh, and, and when it came time to do social media, she created a social media committee and rather appoint somebody like me to it or another associate who was very, very good at that. Uh, she didn't put me on it. Instead, she put on a law firm partner who was against social media and, and, and never drew a dime of business and a tech guru who was not an attorney. So when I left the firm in, in, in 11 years ago, Lois, uh, unfortunately led the firm for another seven years. I think she, she stepped down in in 2017. And by then the firm had shrunk by 40%. Um, by 2021, uh, what used to be four offices? No, I think they had five offices. They're down really to two or two and a half. Um, And you know, my joke is, you know, all those awards she won is for being a great leader and all that stuff, and she have to return those. But you know, I always think that arrogance is some of the worst traits a leader can really have. When you're arrogant, you just end up being stubborn, and you think you know know it all, and you don't you allow yourself to learn, you don't uh, open yourself to new ideas, and you could continue that path to ruin. You know. When I was a synagogue vice president for another synagogue, which I'll probably talk about, I joked that the rest of the leadership was still stuck in 1981. And that's how they handle things. They still believe that if we had a synagogue, everybody's going to come to it. We don't have to advertise it. They're just going to come. If we build it, they will come. It doesn't work that way. And, you know, I use social media to build a national practice, And, you know, I kind of knew that Lois's, you know, antics were going to cost that law from Dealey. You know, we had a, I had a virtual bunch thing with Scott Tanker. And we were talking about, you know, um, my relationship with him and and the organizations that we work together. And it was Mike Webb who said, did you ever have a situation where you had a bad feeling and it didn't uh, didn't, uh, pan out about a place? And quite honestly, no, Um, I never did. I, I, I never said, you know, what, this is a really bad situation. And things turn out well, you know. I've been wrong with a lot of other things that I see from the outside. You know, I thought Apple selling, you know, selling products in their own stores was a bad idea, maybe mainly because I don't like retail, and I thought they were competing against, uh, you know, their, um, you know, people selling their devices and whatnot, like CompUSA, which of course doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and I also thought Amazon selling anything outside of music, DVDs, and books was silly, but Again, what do I know? Um, You know, I I know what I know, and there are a lot of things I don't know. And another common thread of these dying organizations, you know, there's always an excuse uh, rather than a solution. So when I was um, a synagogue vice president, so, you know, I left the synagogue in Oceanside, and I moved to the one next door in Rockville Center, and, you know, we had a former president who said, you know, The demographics here are not supporting the place, and, you know, we're going to die. And i just like, what do you mean? So I said, why don't we just give up now? (laughs) Sell the building, go somewhere smaller. Uh, It's a defeatist attitude. And I was very friendly uh, with uh, a guy who owned a kosher deli in Queens, Jay Parker, who owned owned Ben's Best, and... And, and he told me something really interesting. He says, when you blame demographics, you're just making excuses. So Ben's best was in Rigo Park, but he would get people from outside areas. Uh, he eventually, the business eventually closed because uh, Mayor de Blasio changed the structure of Queens Boulevard and took a lot a lot, lot of parking spots. And Jay said, you know what? Business is struggling. I'm just going to close up and that's it. So demographics didn't doom in Jay Parker and Ben's Best Deli. What doomed them was the taking away of parking spots on Queens Boulevard. But when I was at synagogue as president, I wouldn't accept the fact that demographics were, were terrible. Like, you know, the, the, um, the conservative Jews who were part of the conservative movement were not going to come. Um, uh, you know, I, I realized that, you know, the demographics of Rockwell Center, it, it's Irish Catholic, very big, you know, the the seat of the Archdiocese of Long Island is in Rockville Center. Um, So I decided that, you know, dealing, being a vice president in charge of uh, membership, I would just recruit um, conservative Jews outside areas. You know, uh, there were other struggling synagogues and uh, they were dying or they were closing up shop and I thought that, uh, you know, outside villages, even in Oceanside, where I knew they were dying for quite some time, Um, I thought that that was an opportunity. And, you know, the problem with making excuses for dying is that these dying organizations never develop a solution to change that, you know, flight pattern, as they say. Uh, You know, they they just see themselves in this death spiral, and there's a paralysis in there, and then they don't do anything to to fix it. And another hallmark of dying organizations is, you know, developing um, what I call too much bureaucracy, and like I said, um, you know, I, I thought that if Lois wanted to kill a good idea, she would just, you know, create a committee for it. And I remember it would literally take me six months to get an article published. I would It would take me days just to write it. And I'd have to go through so many different levels of partnership to get it approved. Um, I don't know, you know, uh, committees are an interesting thing, it's just... Most of them just don't work. There's like a paralysis uh, to get anything done, and I debate whether the creation of committees is really to of creativity, to work, or whether it's just a ploy for the leaders to have more control, since most committees really accomplish nothing, other than having the occasional meeting, um, or whether the organization still has that misguided notion that, org- uh, that committees will actually work. Um, you know, I, I was a membership vice president, and I rarely had a membership committee meeting. Because if I knew I wanted to get anything done, committee meeting was not going to accomplish that. And, I, and and it's funny. It's I've been involved with a lot of committees. I just was involved with a alumni committee dealing with fundraising. And, you know, I know a thing or two about fundraising. And um, I just knew from the get-go um, that the committee was going to fail. Uh, there were only three of us on there and the two people kind of leading it. Would get caught up in minutia, get caught up in, in instances and issues that were of no relevance to accomplishing anything. Uh, I remember talking to them about fundraising and oh, let's you know sell T-shirts, like alumni T-shirts of this organization. And instead of focusing on that, they bogged down onto the uh, unrelated business tax uh, issue. They are not attorneys. I am. I dealt with uh, a union that had an unrelated business tax situation, and rather than take my word for it, they had to investigate the UBT, um, and needless to say, there are no T-shirts or coffee mugs to sell. Um, I haven't heard from these guys in months, and uh, nothing will be accomplished for this alumni organization. Another thread is when you are dealing with these organizations, a lot of times the leadership is in it for the wrong reasons. Again, I was in charge of fundraising and membership. Um, We had a fundraising uh, chairperson, but I I ran fundraising events without his input uh, because if I wanted the event to happen uh, and be well-attended, I wouldn't use him. I wouldn't depend on him because he was the type of guy who would Create a fundraising event, and wouldn't advertise until a week before it was going to take place. And I always used two to three months because I want as much time as I want to build awareness. So anyway, with the organization at the synagogue, uh, we had a PTA for the Hebrew school. And uh, in charge of the PTA were two women who did absolutely nothing, and one of them didn't even have kids in the school anymore. And then rather stepping aside and letting someone else do the work, they just wanted the title to do nothing. And I, you know, it's it just, I find it really odd and strange that somebody would take a position and uh, just want that title. Um, you know, it was cute when we were in college and we wanted to pad our resumes. Um, but I don't, you know, when you're, you know, in your 40s or 50s, that's it's no longer cute. It's kind of sad. Um, you know, people aren't going to hire me uh, as an risk attorney because I'm a vice president of some synagogue or whatever, um, you know. When I had a friend of mine uh, who was very involved with college Republicans, uh, like I was back in the day, and he was dating somebody who was college Republican president of some college in New Jersey, uh, I later find out that the organization didn't exist. It was a paper organization. It was a uh, it was a college Republican club in name only. And I'm like, what's the point, you know? Uh, I just, I just, it, it, for somebody who likes to get involved and do things and whatnot, I just never understood why somebody would just take the title, and and just do nothing with it, you know. And, and one of the troubles that I had with the Hebrew school at that synagogue that I was at was the, uh, uh, the chairperson of the board of education over there. She only wanted the school to continue as long as her kids were in the school, and she just. You know, under her leadership, we went down from like 100 kids to like 35. I don't even know if they have 10 kids left now after I left. Uh, She ended up gutting the school, the faculty. um, And, uh, you know, I I, I don't know what's going on now, but, you know, her kids graduated. So I'm sure she doesn't care at all about the school anymore. Um, The problem when you have... Leadership that goes, you know, people that go into business for themselves, um, you know, they lack, you know, they lack any vision. They have absolutely no interest in the future organization. Uh, And and unfortunately, that may take up the space of somebody who might have done a good job in that position uh, that might actually care for the future. So, you know, uh, there's a Yiddish word for it. You know, people want yichas, which is like this honor. this prestige, and they want that title. And it's just, what's the point? You know, uh, if you're not going to do anything, who who needs this? Uh, I I just, I don't need a title to make myself important. You know, and that's why I jokingly call myself, if you ever look at some of the stuff, it's not Ari Rosemount at the Rosemount Law Firm. It is Ari Rosemount Managing Attorney at the Rosemount Law Firm. Well, I'm managing nobody else, but the reason I use the Managing Attorney title is just... um, it's to goof on Lois because uh, <laughs> she was a managing attorney. Well, I could be a managing attorney too, and it's silly. But I, I just get a laugh of that. I, I just, you know, I call myself managing attorney <laughs> in some of my stuff. But you know, when, when I when I write a letter to a client, I would say Ari Rosemount managing attorney, because it, it's silly. But that's that's my joke. Last but not least, um, you know. Uh, uh, the leadership that is always there and is always inept i mean that's the thing that you will always see about diagonal organizations and uh i remember you know as vice president and and contemplating you know leaving the synagogue because my kids weren't learning anything in the hebrew school and just dealing with the infighting i just you know when you're contributing a lot and you and you're uh, heavily involved and you really have no say in the organization and I decided, you know, at one point that I was going to quit. Um, it goes back to the whole Bill Parcells line. You know, if you want me to cook the food, at least I should have a say in how the groceries are bought. And that's that's my belief, and that's probably led me to leave the synagogue. And I realized at one point that you know we had a we called them the Big Five. These were, pre, you know, like former presidents who really were the powers that be at that synagogue. I was vice president. I didn't know what was going on, but they did. And again, I'm not interested in the title. I'm interested in, in, in the power position. And I realized that these are the same people that took a synagogue that once had 750 families down to 300. And, you know, dying organizations, you know, always have that same awful leadership in place. And so, You know, one of the discussions I had with Scott Tanker was our time at Cbiz, and uh, one of the most difficult parts of it was, you know, at least the Cbiz that I was working for, Cbiz Retirement Services. They kept the same inept leadership in place after Cbiz bought the company, including the head of the company, who every it felt like every year he'd have another like reorganization and like three to five year plan. I always joke like it was like the Soviets; they would always have a five year plan. And at one point, he had another plan. He said he would fire himself if things didn't work out. Well, things didn't work out and he didn't fire himself. And dying organizations seem to have leadership that has zero accountability and zero repercussions for incompetence and failure. Um, you know, they continue on that path of failure because there's no replacement for that ineptness. They, you know, again, it's it's that whole, um, you know, Meyer Swazi thing where, you know, they had somebody like Lois in place that uh, continued to. Suffer. Um, and it always reminds me of uh, uh, No Country for Old Men. Uh, Anton just saying, you know, if the path you follow led you to this, if the rule you followed led you to this, of what use was the rule? And that's why I always say, if the path you followed led you to this, of what use was the path? Um, because they continue, and dying organizations continue that path and continue down that that. Road to ruin, or as ACDC would probably say, a highway to hell. And, you know, these are lessons I think that, you know, if you're involved in retirement plan business, if you don't notice these traits in your organization, then you're fine. Then you're then you're dandy. If you notice one or two or more of these traits, uh, well, uh, things certainly could be better. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, as I enjoyed discussing my quote-unquote, expertise on dying organizations. So I uh, hope you uh, go to that 41 com, sign up for our live events, as well as articles and, and whatnot. I hope you tune in next week to the next episode of That 41 K Podcast. Take care. Bye.